Okay, here again we have one of those other, uh, another one of those proverbs. You know, throughout the proverbs, we have been seeing those uh, proverbs about employer-employee relationships. And uh, here's another one of them, and uh, one that's pretty much common, uh, I would say, uh, in our society, basically common worldwide, where uh, people are displeased with their, their employers and they talk bad about them uh, behind their back. And uh, here is one of those proverbs that says, don't do it. Refrain from doing it. Now, it, for some people, it comes easy. You know, it just doesn't, they don't even think about it. It just comes out. Okay, of course, the Bible tells us that what's in the heart is going to come out anyway. Yeah, but uh, here is another warning about slandering an employee uh, to his employer. And, and the reason why the warning should be taken so seriously is because God is the defender of the oppressed. Doesn't matter who the oppressed is. God is the offender of the... Remember now, God is a God of justice. Okay? And that's his, the main thing about God. God is a God of justice. And not because uh, a person is mistreating somebody else means that we ought to, to act unjustly toward that particular person. God is going to deal with that person for whatever injustices they do. We're not to, we're not to deal with that person by taking matters into our own hands. And so the warning here then is, since God is the defender of the oppressed, the pronounced penalty in this verse, or the curse, as it is stated here, it will come to pass. It will come to pass because God is responsible for bringing it to pass as a God of justice. And so the next time you think about talking bad about your employer, think twice. Because God's listening. He's taking notes. And... Judgment will come to pass. The curse, according to the writer of Proverbs here, Agur, says that curse is going to come to pass. Verse uh, 11. Some people curse their father and do not thank their mother. Another one of those common ones that we see going on today in our society, where children are disrespectful to their parents. And uh, it happens all the time. Is another striking resemblance between uh, the generation described here when Agar wrote, it, wrote this. This was happening in that generation. And the generation that we are living in, it's happening. And the generation, if the Lord be not come, that's going to come after us. When we all gone, if God be not come, it's going to be doing the same thing. And so it's a common thing from generation to generation. We find children who are disrespecting their parents. And um, the Bible tells us that this is the kind of thing that is to be expected in the last days. Uh, we are living in those days now. And um, so in, in, in Second Peter, or Second Timothy, uh, chapter 3, we see that warning. We see that... Uh, Indication that this things, these things are going to happen. Second uh, Timothy chapter three, uh, verses one to seven says, "You should know this. 
Temeli, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Aren't we saying that now? Difficult times are happening right now. Verse 2, for people will love only themselves and their money. Sounds like he just wrote this today, right? Because that's exactly what's happening. People are lovers of themselves and lovers of their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, there it is, and ungrateful. Remember that ingratitude is one of the biggest sins God had with his people, children of Israel. Even in the process of delivering them from bondage, they were constantly expressing ingratitude toward God. And this is what we have, he says, we can have today. They will consider nothing sacred. I remember a day when uh, churches could leave, could leave the doors open 24-7. And people could go in any time they wanted to and spend some time. You can't do that today. The churches have to have alarm systems now. Because the people will go in and they will desecrate everything. Okay, nothing is sacred anymore. They will be unloving and unforgiving. We see that happening today. People are unloving and they are they are refused to forgive each other for the things that they have done. Uh, they will slander others. And we just finished reading about that just now. We are employers slandering employees. He says, Well, that's gonna happen in the last days. They will slander others and have no self control. Big part of the crime problem today is lack of self-control. You know, if people could control themselves, then you would have civility in the land. People would be able to talk things over and, and you wouldn't have so much crime where a person, uh, you look at a person the wrong way and they want to take you out, like they say. Okay? No self-control. Reckless. Oh, they will be cruel and hate what is good. Now that's something that we have difficulty trying to understand. Why people would hate what is good? Normally you would love what is good, right? It says they will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless and puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Now that's a clear warning, right? Clear command. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with guilt of sin, controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings. But they are never able to understand the truth. Watch out for TBN. That's what he's saying here. A lot of stuff on TBN, not good for the soul. Don't throw the baby up with the bad water now. You gotta pick out the good stuff and throw out the rest. Notice what he says about disrespectful to parents. As what Agar says in our, in our proverb today. Cursing their parents, cursing their fathers and showing ungratefulness to their mothers. That's a breaking or violation of the 
fifth commandment. Clear violation of the fifth commandment, which tells us that we are to honor our parents. The aggression of young people toward their parents is one of the major characteristics of the immorality in our society today. Okay, If children would honor their parents, we won't have the kind of immorality that we have in society today. And then verse 12. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed from their footings. Self-righteousness is what he's talking about here. Self-righteous people are evil and impure. The words that the Proverbs uses filthy and unwashed. Same thing, evil and impure. Yet, they have no sense of shame. Old folks used to say they brassy eye. Remember that? While their outer appearance resembles whitewashed tombs, the Bible says they are, in the description of Jesus and the, and the religious leaders of the day, they are filled with dead men's bones. Dead on the inside. So you can't expect anything that resembles life to come out of them. Verse 13. There is a generation, oh how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. Here he's talking about pride and arrogance. Something else that we see prominent in our day. Pride and arrogance are characteristic of a person who would say something like this. There are only two people who are righteous in this world. Me and my son. And if there's only one, that would be me. That's the kind of person that is described, that he's describing here. And I'm sure we could think of some people like that, right? Me, myself, and I. And if there's only one, then it's I. Verse 14. They have teeth like swords and fangs like knives. Wow. So he's talking then uh, here about the f how fiercely oppressive they are. They're not only oppressive, but they are fierce with it. Notice by the words that he's used here about fangs like knives and teeth like swords. He's talking about fierceness here. In their ravenous greed for wealth, such people rip and tear and devour the poor, he says. How do they do that? Well, common practices that we hear people complaining about over and over again is how they do it. Having people work long hours, pay them low wages, subject them to miserable work conditions, and other forms of social injustice. Notice it says the focus here is on the poor. And isn't it those kind of people we hear crying about the condi those such conditions? It's the poor who really need better wages and better working conditions. Those are the ones that he's talking about here. Verse 15. <clears throat> The leech has two daughters, give, give. There are three things that are never simplified, or that never say enough. Verse 16. 
the grave, the barren wall, the thirsty desert, the blazing fire. Okay, so greed of oppression is mentioned in the, in the previous verse and is emphasized here by other examples. So he mentions greed previously in, 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 the, in the other verse. Uh, now he's given some examples of how this greed uh, is, is expressed or demonstrated and how it is never ever satisfied. Notice what he says, the leech. He says the leech is depicted or portrayed or pictured as having two daughters with a never-ending ability for sucking blood. Both of their names are the same. What's that? Give. That's right. Both are named the same thing. Give, give, as the scripture says. And so that's one of the things that never says, uh, you know, we had enough. And then the other one is the grave. The grave is always aware that death never takes a holiday. Grave is always aware of that. And some, some of you have passed that cemetery with a sign on it, uh, what, drive safely, we can wait? Because they, they always have space. I think that's the cemetery on Nassau Street. Infant View Road. Infant View Road, right. That has a sign, drive safely, we can wait. I, I also remember that because it, 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 grave is constantly aware that death never takes a day off. Death never takes a holiday. And uh, it never, it, so it never falls short of providing accommodation for its victims. It's always there. You, you'll never pass a cemetery and see a sign that says, no vacancy. <laughs> never. I saw pass on Lakeview the other day. And I passed it back and forth going home and going to work. And, and uh, occasionally I would pass by and they would have these flatbed trailers loaded with, with, with graves. You know, the, the concrete cast tombs that they actually put in the ground to put the coffins in. And sometimes I pass in, I try to count them. And I, I, I'm driving so fast. And even as slow as I go, I can't count all the trailers, all the, the coffins. They have like six, eight or ten flatbeds. And all of them are filled with these, these tombs on them. And now they are, they are, they've elevated, they've gone up to an upper level where it was all uh, rock. And they have these big tractors of them, and they're digging and digging, and now they're building a fence, so they're making space, they're making room. They're making room. Okay, because death never takes a holiday. Death never says, you know, the grave never says, you know, I had enough, you know, I, I don't have no more space. It never says that. And so this is one of those things that he's talking about here, that uh, never says enough. And then there's the barren womb, he mentions. The barren womb is never willing to accept sterility, but is constantly hoping for motherhood. No matter how much you tell a woman she can't have children, she's always going to have hope. The barren womb never gives up. And that's what he's talking about here. And then he talks about the earth is not satisfied with water. Regardless of how much it rains, the earth always soaks it all up. You ever notice that? 
You go through anywhere and it floods. And they talk about how bad it's flooding. But you go back there the next day, all the water gone. So the earth is one of those things he's talking about. No matter how much it rains, the earth always have a way of soaking up all that water. We know where it goes, but it goes. And then he talks about fire. It's another one of those things that never says enough. The fire will devour as much as fuel is fed to it. More fuel you fed on, it's going to keep on devouring. It never says, you know, I had enough fuel, don't, don't give me no more, my belly full. Never say that. It keeps going, keeps devouring. And so we mentioned those four things that never say, those five things uh, that never says enough. The grave, a barren womb, a thirsty land or desert, and the blazing fire. Not to mention the leech, the two suckers who say, keep it coming, keep it coming. More and more. Exactly. Okay, verse 17. The eye that mocketh on his father and despises to obey his mother. The ravens of the rock valley shall pick it out, and the young people shall eat it. Okay, here's another one of those verses. We just looked at one of these, but another one uh, of the proverb that teaches that a child who disobeys or disrespects their parents will die a violent death. Boy, now often do we see that happening? We don't think about that when we when we hear these young people who die so tragically and so violently. But this more than likely is one of the reasons why they die the way they do. If you were to if you were to do some history on individuals who die violently, ask relatives, friends who are close to them, and find out how they treated their parents. Nine chances out of ten, you'll find that they were disrespectful and disobedient to their parents. And the judgment fell on them. They died violent deaths. Not only that, but this verse goes on uh, to speak of the cultural context of what it says here. In terms of they will be deprived, uh, it says the, 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 the ravens of the valley, will, they will be eaten by the ravens of the valley. And so he's talking about not only will they die a violent death, but they will be deprived of a decent burial. That's what he's talking about. Now, it was a great tragedy. It was not only a great tragedy, but it was a, it was a great disgrace uh, in Jewish culture for a body to remain unburied. And that's the context that he's speaking about here. Okay? It was a disgrace for a body to be unburied. And so the fate of disobedient children was for vultures to devour their corpses. And that's what he's talking about here. In other words, children who disobey their parents because of disobedience and disrespect don't deserve a decent burial. They deserve for their bodies to be eaten up like, like wild animals, by wild beasts. Okay? That's the context he's speaking here when he mentions this about eyes being plucked out uh, by the ravens and, and eaten by the vultures. But we see that happening uh, very often today. And we never connect the dots when we hear of the violent death of a young person. Well, this proverb tells us that you need to connect the dots. Sometimes we are, we are very, very sympathetic, but we don't know the whole story. 
You know, we don't know the whole story, but took behind why that person died the way they did. They may have been a victim, but they became a victim in the context or in the culture of violent crime. And it's a domino effect, and it never fails. Verses 18 and 19. There are three things that are too wonderful for me, four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake in the rock, the way of a ship in the sea, and the way of a man with a woman. Okay, so four things are listed by Agar here that he really didn't understand. And, you know, we go through life all the time and we look at things and we say, boy, you know, I really don't understand how that happens the way it happens or, or how that works. And sometimes we go through our entire lives looking at something that we really don't understand. Well, for Agar, these four things are, are four of the things that he mentioned. I'm sure there were some other things that he saw that he didn't understand, but he mentions four of them here. The way of the eagle in the air, the eagle's gracefulness and speed are well known by its marvel of flight. You know, he just doesn't understand, boy, how could that eagle fly like that? Man, that's so majestic. That's awe-inspiring. Awe didn't understand that. And then the second was how a serpent, uh, the way of a serpent on a rock. The mystery of how a snake can move without the advantage of arms or legs or wings. Didn't understand that. You know, a snake doesn't have legs, but it, it and, and you guess what they said that a snake, a snake can outrun you. You know that? You realize that, right? It doesn't have legs, but it can outrun you. All right? So if you're trying to outrun a snake, make sure, remember that you're going to lose that race. Okay? But it doesn't have legs. And he doesn't understand. I don't want me to understand that. You know, a guy told me one time that he caught a snake one time and he... Uh, tied a, 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 a rope on it, on his head, and put it behind his car, and he drove, and he dragged it. And said, somebody was watching it, said, hey, he's got legs! Said, two legs came out from the back of the snake, and it was, it was running. I don't know how true that was. Okay, someone else said that they burned the snake, and then they burned, the, they saw these two little things look like legs. We don't know. But Agar said, that's one of the things that I don't understand. How could a snake do this stuff? Especially on a rock. Doesn't have legs. And then he says a ship in the midst of a sea. And he is, uh, he is in awe at the navigational skill of the ship. And then the, the way of a, a man with a virgin. And this is really an expression that refers to a man's natural affection with regards to courting a woman. Something else he did not understand. You know, how... What, what a man does in the process of courting a woman or winning a woman's heart is, was one way of putting it. Uh, he says that's one of the things that he didn't understand. And then verse 20. An adulterous woman consumes a man that wipes him out and says, which Don't we see this? We hear about this happening a lot, right? <laughs> So what Agar does, and I notice he mentions four things before, and, and verse 20 is like, he says like, oh, by the way, here's another one for good measure. And so he adds in this one, on, uh, this one in verse 20. Uh, he, he throws in a fifth wonder. So this one could be added to the four that he just mentioned. And that is the way of an adulterous woman 
who can gratify her lustful pleasures with a man and then wipe her mouth, declaring herself completely innocent by saying, well, well what's wrong with that? <laughs> In other words, you know, you got a problem with this? <laughs> That's exactly the implication here. You know, I mean, you know, no sweat here. Okay? That's what he's saying. And uh, <coughs> tragically, we see this happening very, very often in our society today. We, we see it sometimes. We hear about it. It goes on all the time. You know, uh, a woman knows that uh, a man is happily married or is married. Uh, many times there's a question mark whether that's happily or not, because if he's happy, then he wouldn't be born with his woman, or he wouldn't let this woman swing him. But this adulterous woman goes with this man, and then when someone looks at her cork-eyed or cross-eyed, as if to say, you know, you know, that's not right. You know, she wipes her mouth and says, boy, that was good. Now tell me, what's wrong with that? <laughs> that's what he's saying. That's what he's talking about here. This is reality, right? This is happening today. This is happening today, even as we speak. Okay, and so he says, that's one of the things that... Now notice what Agar is saying is he's adding this one to the four things that he didn't understand. He says, I don't understand how a woman could do that. So you can add that to the things that listed that you don't understand. Okay. All right. That's the adulterous woman. Okay, verses. Verses. Someone read verses 21 to 23. There are three things that make the earth tremble. No four they cannot endure. A slave who becomes a king, an overbearing fool who prospers, a better woman who finally gets a husband, a servant girl who supplants her mistress. Okay, now notice what Agar is doing. He's going in sequences here. Okay, so he's talking about, about uh, some things that the, the, the earth can't bear, can't tolerate. Uh, he lists four unbearable things that have a tendency to throw the earth into chaos or into confusion. The first one is a servant when he reigns. In other words, he's not used to power. And so when he gets this power, he becomes intoxicated with it. He becomes intoxicated with the power of his new position, and it makes him arrogant and domineering. Now, we have heard individuals talk about persons in authority in jobs, and, and they say about this person, boy, they used to have in power. Well, that's the kind of person he's describing here. A person who is not accustomed to having power, when they get it, they don't know what to do with it. Okay? And they believe it's, it's, it's what they have it for is to step on people and to dominate, pe dominate people. Okay, and so this is what he's talking about here. Uh, one of the things that makes the earth tremble. A person who, a servant, who gets suddenly gets a position of power and he becomes arrogant and domineering because of it. And then the second person is a fool filled with food. Okay, success comes, success causes him to be 
more disrespectful than he would not ordinarily be. Okay? He gets a little bit of power. He's been a fool all his life, so he doesn't know what it is to have power. So he suddenly gets it, and it causes him to become even more disrespectful than he was before to everybody that he comes in contact with. And then the third one he mentions is a hateful woman who is finally successful in getting married. All her life she'd been looking for a husband. Couldn't find one. Finally, she gets a husband. And her miserable temperament would have usually, which would have usually kept her single, uh, she was able to surpass that. Uh, by some coincidence, she lands a husband. Uh, don't know whether that fellow was a fool or not, but she lands him anyway. Okay, and as a result, she becomes domineering, arrogant, and she goes even further. She starts to ridicule those that she kept company with who are not yet married. Okay, so she becomes an irritant to those persons whom she used to hang out with, people who she used to keep company with. Just because she got a husband now, she thinks she's different, and she mistreats and disrespects and ridicules those who don't have, forgetting what her position was before she had one. And so that's, he says, that's one of the things that, that throws the world into confusion, chaos. And then the, the other one he mentions, the fourth one, is a maiden who succeeds a mistress. Right. Supplants a mistress. She becomes not only rude but crude and offensive. And she's she's now got this position of elegance and gracefulness, but she doesn't know how to handle it. She doesn't know how to act. Doesn't know what to do with herself. Doesn't know how to behave. That's what he's talking about here. So she becomes crude, rude, and offensive and doesn't know how to carry herself anymore. Because now she's in a position of power and authority. And with that, we get to stop because our time is gone. And we'll pick up and we come back. And more than likely, we'll uh, finish up uh, verse chapter 30 and go into the final chapter of Proverbs, uh, which is written by somebody else. This is Agar is only, is wrote, wrote this one only, and then we go into the other one uh, that uh, I believe is written by Lemuel. And uh, the first uh, few verses of that is Lemuel's mother's instructions to him, and then we go into the other section of his two sections. So, Lord willing, when we come back, we'll go into that and conclude uh, Proverbs studies, and then we look at a brief study on the application of the Proverbs as mentioned in the Scriptures by Jesus and some others.